We're going to be reading from Matthew 28, the end of the first gospel. And as we read God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand with me out of a sign of respect for the word being read. I'm going to start at verse 16 and read through the end of the chapter. This is God's word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. You may be seated. What is your mission in life? According to a veteran of World War II, if an unidentified soldier appeared suddenly in the dark and could not state his mission, he was automatically shot without question. Fortunately, that's not the case for us because most of you don't have an answer to that question. What is your mission? What's true for us as individuals can also be true of organizations and churches. We've been doing this series on the church. And this may be one of the most important sermons in this series because it's asking the question, what is our mission as a church? Churches can exist for lots of reasons. Some churches exist to pay the bills. Some churches exist to satisfy the pastor's need and ego uh, to, to have a large gathering, a large following. Churches can exist for lots of reasons. They can have lots of missions. But it's important for us to be grounded in what our mission is as a church because if we're not, if we lose our purpose, we lose our direction, we lose our focus, we get distracted, we get tangled up in all sorts of meaningless projects. And we lose our ability to be the church as God intended us to be. And the key to any organization, you read any book on business or, or nonprofits, they say the key is for an organization to have a clear mission and to come back to that mission again and again and again. Patrick Lencioni has written lots of books uh, on this topic. He gives this advice for organizations when articulating their mission. No flowery adjectives or adverbs here, nothing ethereal or abstract, just an unsexy one-sentence definition, something your grandmother can understand. No offense to grandmas. <laughs> That's what I hope to do this morning. Give you an unsexy one-sentence mission for the church, the church that has existed throughout the ages, that spans the globe, but also for King's Church. And I hope to convince you 
that the mission that is the church should be your mission as well. I hope you'll leave today convicted and convinced and able to answer that question, what is your mission? And that you'll have an immediate answer. So we're going to look at Matthew 28, 16 to 20. We're going to dive into this passage and answer four questions. Who has given us our mission? What is our mission? How do we accomplish our mission? And what will sustain us in our mission? So first, who has given us our mission? Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? Jesus. That's clear. But that answer isn't as simple as it seems because the harder question is, who is Jesus? Because if you're unsure of that, you may not respond to the mission He's given you. There are lots of opinions on who Jesus is. That Jesus is an important man, a good man, an extraordinary figure in history. That Jesus is somebody we can learn from, that we can emulate. That Jesus taught us about love and compassion. This is a common understanding of who Jesus was and is. Uh, but this is an essential question we have to wrestle with because if you don't understand and determine who Jesus is, you're going to question whether He has a right to give you your mission, to give us our mission as a church. If Jesus was simply a good man who lived a good life and offers wise advice, then ultimately you and I are still in control. We still set the agenda It'd be like a, a common everyday citizen coming up to you and trying to tell you, hey, you jaywalked, I'm going to give you a ticket. If they don't have a police officer's uniform on, if they don't have that position of authority, you're going to say, hey, you don't have any say in, on my life in this area. Who are you to tell me what I should do? The same is true of Jesus. If you're not sure of who He is, then you're going to be unsure of this question of who is giving you your mission. Because He can offer you good advice, but it doesn't mean you have to submit your life to Him. And what this passage is showing us is that Jesus was more than a man. He's a man with authority. And He makes the ultimate claim on your life in verse 18. He says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the most outrageous claim that any religious leader has ever made. Think about it for a moment. He's claiming ultimate authority here. And this is a man who at that point in time had just been crucified by the Romans. Dale uh, Bruner makes it, uh, says it this way. When you think that Matthew is writing his gospel perhaps one generation after the crucifixion of Jesus, and here a man crucified as a state criminal by the Roman authorities claims to be the one to whom Caesar himself will bow the knee, that He is the Lord, not just of the church, He is the Lord of history, He's the Lord of governments, He's the Lord of nations, He's the Lord of the universe. This is the claim, the outrageous claim that Jesus is making in this passage. And we have a clue in this passage that something extraordinary is taking place here, that there's something different about Jesus Notice where Jesus brings His disciples to give Him this mission. To give them this mission. We're told in verses 16 and 17 that the 11 disciples, remember there were 11 at this time, Judas Iscariot 
had hung himself by this point. There are 11 disciples. They went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, throughout the Bible, the mountain is the place where God meets with his people. And one of the most significant, important moments in the Bible when this happened was with Moses. Moses met with God on Mount Sinai. And what happened when Moses met with God on Mount Sinai? God gave Moses his law. He gave Moses his mission. And Matthew is giving us a clue here that Jesus is the new and better Moses, that Jesus is meeting with his disciples in giving them a new and better mission. And we see the ultimate vindication of Jesus' status, that the reason Jesus can say and proclaim that he has all authority over the cosmos is the fact that this has happened after his resurrection. He has been raised from the dead. This is where Jesus gets his authority. That he was crucified, that he died, but now he has authority over death itself. His resurrection was the central event in human history. Everything changed after that happened. Timothy Keller puts it this way, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that He said. If He didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything what He said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like His teaching, but whether or not He rose from the dead. It is the issue. It is the issue that you have to wrestle with. Did Jesus live again? Was he raised from the dead? You have to jump over that hurdle. You have to come to grips with it. Because when you do, it changes everything. Because suddenly when you make that profession, when you come to agreement with that central event in human history, then you have to acknowledge, yes, indeed, Jesus, you are king. And not just are you the king, you are my king. And coming to that place will change your life. And so I ask you, have you made that choice? Have you made that decision? Have you wrestled with the resurrection? It wasn't easy for the disciples. Notice in our passage, when the disciples met with Jesus, we're told when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. I'm so thankful that that was included in Matthew's story. The disciples struggled with this. And listen, they were with Jesus. They were in His presence and they doubted. They were wrestling with the fact dead people don't come back to life. They aren't raised from the dead. And here they were confronted with that fact. And there was still doubt. And I know if you're like me, you have doubt too. And what I love about this passage is that Jesus meets them there and and we can see that this is a difficult thing for all of us to wrestle with, but it is the key issue. And if you're struggling with that, you're not alone. Be encouraged. But as you wrestle with it, I would encourage you to come to an answer, come to resolution, come to a place where you're willing to say, 
I have my doubts, but Jesus, I'm going to worship you and I'm going to follow you. And yes, indeed, I'm going to accept this mission that you've given me. That's where each of us have to come to. We're either going to accept the mission or not based on who he is. And so what is that mission? What is our mission? Well, here I'm going to follow Lencioni's advice, simple and unsexy. Here's the mission to make disciples. To make disciples. Now, this isn't simply a call to missions. That's often how we interpret this passage. We think of it in terms of the call to go overseas. The call to go to all the nations and make disciples. And indeed, this passage points us in that direction, but it also points us to the here and now, to where we are, to this area of the world. Make disciples here. That is what Jesus is telling us, that we, the church, are given this mission. And what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. The 11 disciples who were there with Jesus, they were all Jews who had left their jobs. Left, they left everything that they owned uh, to be with Jesus for three years, to become his students, to become his apprentices, to be followers of him. They gave their lives to him. They took their marching orders from him. This was their calling. This was their mission. And now Jesus is telling them, now you go and make disciples. And they accepted that mission. And it's important for us to be clear on this. We need to be clear that the church's mission is not to make your life better. In fact, I saw that as a tagline of a local church in the area. Making life better. That is not our mission. In fact, being a disciple of Jesus Christ may not make your life better. I do not want to promise you that. And it is not, our mission is not to make you healthy or happy. Our mission is not to make sure your kids are instilled with good values. That is not our mission. If that's what you want, please go to a different church. Our mission is not to be a place where you can get all your needs met. We do not want you to have a consumer mentality or attitude when you think about King's Church. That is not our mission. Our mission must be clear. Now here I want to make what might be a controversial statement. Our mission is not to get people saved. And let me explain what I mean by that. Often the focus of the church and the focus of disciple, make disciples is simply to get people saved. Get people to say the sinner's prayer. Get people to get their ticket to heaven. And that is often what churches and pastors emphasize and focus on. They say, you know, they count how many professions of faith they've gotten. And then they go on to the next person, try to get them saved. And they go on to the next person, get them saved. And they think they're doing their job. They think they're fulfilling their mission. Well, they're not. That is not what it means to make disciples. Making disciples is a lifetime journey. Making disciples is a lifelong endeavor. Making disciples involves seeing people grow and be transformed more and more into the image of their master, their king, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means 
to make disciples. The goal is transformation. The goal is, a spirit, is, is growing in spiritual maturity. In Romans 8.29, Paul shows that it's God's plan all along that for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Here Paul is talking about discipleship. That God's plan for you is to become more like Jesus, more like your King. And the church is the vehicle by which this happens. The church is the place where God's people come to be discipled, to be transformed, to grow into the image of Jesus himself. That's our mission. That's our calling. And that is the measure of our success as a church. Are you becoming more like Jesus? That's, that's it. That's our singular focus. So I'm, I'm convicted by this. Because I know, I have to confess, over the past 11 years of, of starting this church and being the pastor, there are times I've ignored this, I've, I've gotten distracted from this, I've lost my way, we've lost our way, we, we've gotten wrapped up in things that truly are meaningless and aren't important, at least not as important as the singular focus, it should be our singular focus, make disciples. And one of the reasons I, I get distracted from this or, or perhaps ignore this clear mission is the fear of raising the bar of expectations on all of you. Because if the thinking is, as pastors, if I raise the bar, people won't like that and they won't come. And I'm convicted in this passage to say, no, we need to raise the bar. We need to to say, listen, this is our mission for you to become more like Christ and we can't be afraid of calling all of you to a higher standard of following Christ. This is our mission. But I want to say this, my hope is that you will see that this is your mission too. I'm not encouraging you to sit back and to say, okay, you the church, you Pastor Jason, you Pastor Robin, and you leaders... Disciple me. Yes, that is our calling, but that's your calling as well. We're not talking just about evangelism. We're talking about investing in people's lives. And I know that sounds intimidating to some of you. Robin and I have been a part of uh, a group of, of pastors this past year called the Bonhoeffer Project. And it's all about a refocus on discipleship for the church. And uh, one of the pastors in this group uh, works at a large church in Southern California, a very large church in Southern California. He works at one of the campus sites. Um, and he was talking about how this large church was trying to get leaders for their small groups. And at the beginning when they were trying to do this, I mean, we're talking about like hundreds of homes where these small groups would take place. When they tried to get leaders for these groups, they called, they called these leaders pastors and he said, no one, no one signed up. Uh, and then they called it leaders, and, and a few more people signed up. Then they called for hosts, <laughs> people to host the groups, and everybody signed up. Because no one wanted to view themselves as a leader. Certainly no one wanted to view themselves as a pastor or a discipler. And yet that is our calling. That is your calling. 
One of the things that uh, Bill Hull, who led the Bonhoeffer uh, project, he gave us at the end, we just finished up this past week, he gave us this baton, says the Bonhoeffer project. And uh, Bill had, had me and Robin stand up, and he gave each of us this baton. And the whole symbolism of it was, I'm giving this to you. I'm handing the baton for you to go and make disciples. And it was a, a, a touching ceremony to receive that. And, and church, let me say, I'm here this morning and I'm handing this baton to you. Because my calling is to equip you to make disciples. For you to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given you. That is my role. And I know you might say, no, I, I can't do that. That's not my job. Well, it is your job. It is your mission. It's the calling that your king has given you. Now, I know my role is different. I, I will do it in a different way than you. And some of you think, well, I do, I do discipleship through supporting the ministry of the church, facilities team. You guys come early. You stay late. You help roll these cases in. You help provide this warm and inviting environment, you're helping the church fulfill its mission to make disciples. Absolutely. The welcome team, the, the band, King's Kids, you all are supporting the ministry. Absolutely. You're helping us disciple. However, that's not enough. It's not enough. And so let's talk about what is it, how do we accomplish our mission? How do we do this? Well, Jesus tells us in the passage, he says, go baptize and teach all that Jesus has commanded. Now, this is where our roles might be a little different, where I as a pastor get to do discipleship a little differently than you, and one role is in baptism. I as an ordained minister in the church baptize. Robin preached on the sacraments last week. He talked about baptism in the Lord's Supper. Baptism is a part of the discipleship process because in baptism is that point in time when you are grafted into the community of the, of the covenant. You're grafted into the community of the church. You're initiated. You're, you're, you're marked. Baptism is that moment in the, in the part of discipleship where you're marked and the journey with Jesus begins. And so, for some of you, if you're here today and you are a Christian and you have not been baptized, would you please talk to us and let's remedy that. Let's remedy that. It is, a, it is a part of the journey of discipleship that Jesus has given you, and it, it is a symbol of the fact that discipleship does not, have, does not happen in a private way. It happens in community. Discipleship is a group process. And so I'm not going to get into any more of that, because like I said, Robin talked about it last week. But the second part of what Jesus is, is telling us here, teaching them. Now, some of you might have the, the thinking that when Jesus says, teach them, again, oh, that's the pastor's job. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm teaching you. Well, that is a part of discipleship. Certainly the classroom setting, the sermon, it's a part of discipleship. I'm passing on knowledge. I'm passing on God's word to you. That happens in, in our classes, our connecting classes and events. 
where, where knowledge is passed on and information in, in your mind is, is shaped and transformed, that, that is a part of discipleship. Indeed, that's part of it. But when we look at the life of Christ, He certainly did more than that. Jesus taught them in a lecture style or a speaking environment, but Jesus also taught them in a much, I would say, a much more powerful way, and that is Jesus taught them by living with them. That we teach others through life-on-life relationship. And I think that is an important element of discipleship that you need to see here, that that's what Jesus is also talking about. Discipleship happens in life-on-life relationships. And so what we see uh, in our understanding of what it means to teach people, to disciple people, that it means investing your life in them with, it, with an intentional focus. The way Greg Ogden says it in his book on discipleship, he says, at the heart of discipling is a relationship in which one or more believers assist or invest in each other in order to grow to maturity in Christ. And so notice the important elements of this. It's it's a relationship, and it's intentional with the goal of transformation, becoming more like Jesus. That's an important part of what it means to disciple. Now, again, there are other ways to disciple. For example, the worship service. We believe we're discipling you in this worship service. Notice the elements of the service that we have. We try to make God's Word ever-present throughout the service. Prayer confession of sin, singing, uh, the Lord's Supper, all these elements we're trying to shape your, you and form your hearts and direct you and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. So in a very real sense, in this worship service, we feel like we are discipling you. But again, in an even more powerful way, I think, ha- happens when life-on-life relationships are taking place, where you are investing in another human being with the goal of their transformation. For example, with our community groups and our cluster groups, it's very different for you to go to a community group or a cluster group with the intent and goal just to be social. I'm going to go, I'm going to get friends, I don't want to feel lonely, and so I want, I want people to talk with, I want people to do things with. That, that's very different then you go into the community group or the cluster group with the intent, I'm going to invest in other people's lives because I want to see God work in them and transform them. And I want them to invest in my life so I can see God work in my life and begin to transform me. Very different mission. Very different outcome. But we need to see that in our community groups and our cluster groups, that's the goal. Transformation becoming like Christ. But it doesn't have to be in official church functions. Discipleship happens in your home. If you're married, you have a discipleship role with your spouse. You are called to invest in your spouse to see them transformed into the image of Christ. If you're parents, you must see your children that you are discipling your children. You are called to invest intentionally in their lives to see then become more like Jesus. If you, if you think of your neighbors or your co-workers or pe- other friends in your life, 
If they are a follower of Christ, you have a role to play in investing in that relationship to see them become more and more like Jesus. Those are discipleship opportunities. Are you taking advantage of them? Do you see the significance in that? Is your mission clear? I would challenge you today when you leave, spend some time today, write out a few names of people in your life that maybe you need to bring to God and confess and repent of the fact that you have not been intentionally discipling them. Maybe write their names out, offer them to God and say, God, would you begin to shape my thinking here? Begin to put it on my heart that I have a mission to fulfill and that you've given me these people in order to see the image of Christ shaped in their life. Would you do that? What I'm suggesting this morning is a radical new way of approaching your life because investing in people is hard, it is exhausting, it is discouraging. If you've ever tried to do that, it it will wear you out. And that's why this last point is so important. What will sustain us in our mission? Jack Miller, in, in writing about this passage in Matthew 28, tell, tells this story. He says that you know, he had this friend, and his, his friend was, was sharing about his experience in World War II. I started with a, a story of World War II. I'm going to end with a story of World War II. Um, he said this, that his most frightening day during that war was when a general stood up in front of the troops in Italy and delivered a powerful speech about how they were going to smash through to Rome. And as this general spoke, the troops were inspired and felt that it was indeed possible. But then the general got into his car and drove the other way, away from the battlefront. And Jack's friend said that he never felt so abandoned in all his life. What I love about Jesus' words here, how the, the gospel of Matthew ends, is with these words, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you go to John's gospel, one of the last things Jesus shares with his disciples before the night he was crucified, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I think that's why that, tr- that, that soldier felt so scared. He felt so abandoned. He felt like an orphan. Because that general was given in this this mission and then he took off. And here's Jesus giving us this seemingly impossible mission. And and with our eyes, where is he? Is he here? Well, his promise is that he is. His promise is that he's given us the Holy Spirit. John's Gospel, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as our helper. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in us with power. The Holy Spirit enables us to do this radically outrageous thing, and that's to see Jesus formed in another human being. There's nothing more important that you can invest your life in, and yet nothing that will leave you feeling more helpless because you can't change people. You can't change anyone. 
And that is why we have to hold on to Jesus' words here at the very end of the gospel where he says, I, will, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is Jesus' promise to us. And I hope you will hear that and that it will encourage you to take a step that maybe you've never taken in your life. And maybe it's to sit down with your friend, your buddy, where you always have conversations about sports or some other thing that you do, but you've never sat down with your friend and said, hey, you know, I think I, I really am struggling in this area. I think Jesus is calling me to change in this way. Would you walk with me in this and help me to change? What about having that kind of conversation on a regular basis with the people who are in your life? Scary? Scary. Impossible? Not impossible. Because Jesus says He's with us. And I want to go back to the, the, the part there where we see that the, the, the disciples doubted. Where they worshipped Jesus and they doubted. And, and I want you to rest in that, to rest in this message that Jesus is with his disciples even though they were doubting, even though they were questioning, even though they thought they couldn't do it. Jesus tells them, I am with you. I am with you. He is with us. He is with you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, as we reflect and think about this mission you have given us, as we are challenged by it, as we are moved by it, as we think about the people in our lives that you have given us to invest our lives in, I pray that you would not let us give in to a spirit of fear or timidity, that you would not allow us to dismiss or explain away these clear words that you have given your church to make disciples. I ask, Lord Jesus, that King's Church would begin more and more to be aligned with this mission that you have given us, that the people who come to King's Church would see clearly what our mission is and would either be energized and excited about it or would find another church. I ask that we would hold on to this great mission, to hold on to it fiercely and to not settle, to not settle for a brand of religious rituals or customs or culture that are acceptable in other environments or churches, but know, Jesus, that we would begin to see the radical nature of following you, the radical way that you've called us to live, the countercultural way you've called us to live. May we embrace that. Would we humbly receive that? And begin, Lord Jesus, to look outward 
and begin to share that with the people we interact with. And may you, through your Holy Spirit, who we know is with us, may we feel empowered by that Spirit, empowered to speak in dark places, to engage with those who are on the margins, to embrace this calling to be salt and light in our world. Jesus, we thank you for this mission you've given us. We celebrate it. And we pray for you to continue to work in and through us as we seek to become more like you. We love you and thank you. Amen.